welcome to another exciting podcast from Living Faith Church. It's our hope and prayer that today's message will bring you closer and deeper to the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Dean Hackett. King Hezekiah reigned in Israel for not quite 30 years. And he led that nation into an authentic spiritual awakening. It is so strong that it even had a measure of impact in the northern ten tribes, Israel. When Hezekiah passed away, his son Manasseh became king. Manasseh led the nation exactly the opposite direction than his father did. I'd like you to look with me at the impact Manasseh's life had on the nation of Judah. And I've got them listed here. So uh, the first is he was not committed to Almighty God like his father. For some reason, though Hezekiah led the nation in great revival, it did not impact his own son. And we see that over and over again in the church. This was significant. In fact, Manasseh adopted the gods and the idols of the pagan nations around him. And he began worshiping them. And in doing so, he defiled the house of the Lord because he set up images of these idols, these false gods, in the very house of God that God said to King David, I've put my name there. And, and then he began leading the nation in a synchristic form of worship. So they still had the temple of Almighty God and the altars and things, but they were using it for the worship of idols. The next thing he did was he removed the word of God. He removed the word of God. In fact, he began to actually persecute the prophets that prophesied in the name of the Lord. And he removed the word of God. And he stopped the preaching of the word of God. And then he began to embrace the doctrines of demons. He began to use necromancy and uh, and spiritism and every form of uh, satanic worship and, uh, and, and he began to listen to the doctrines of demons and as he listened to the doctrines of demons he began, <coughs> excuse me, to embrace a whole new morality and he began to lead the nation in a whole new form of morality Teaching them that the old morality was outdated and it was strict and it was 
judgmental. And don't listen to those prophets. There's, there's a new freedom. There's a new morality. And as the new morality began to take hold and idolatry began to take hold, then transgender also began to come in. And they had both male and female prostitutes. So there began, there began then in the culture a transgender, a homosexual community. He sacrificed his own son to idols. He built, he built in, the, in the southern valley that, that borders the ancient walls of Jerusalem. It's, it's called the Hinnom Valley. <clears throat> well, Hinnom, it, it adopted that name under Manasseh because Manasseh set up a large idol there and he sacrificed his own son on the brass arms of that idol with a fire built under the arms. He laid his own son on the arms of that idol and sacrificed his own son on the arms of that idol. And then he encouraged the nation to go that way. And the scripture says they sacrificed so many children to the idols that they filled Jerusalem. They soaked Jerusalem in innocent blood. Hinnom Valley. The name Gehenna comes from there. And Gehenna is one of the Hebrew names that is used for the fiery part of Sheol or hell. Also used for the lake of fire. Gehenna, the Hinnom Valley, named because of the fires in which babies were sacrificed to the false gods and the idols that Manasseh set up. The scripture says that Manasseh led the nation of Judah in more evil than the nations around them. But an interesting thing happened. As those nations, as they, as they were given over to this kind of, of spiritual degradation, other nations began to have power over them. Manasseh was taken captive. They actually put hinges into his body and hooked chains to him and dragged him. And in that season of captivity, Manasseh came back to the God of his father. And the scripture says he repented and he was restored as king and he led the nation in a small revival back to God. But when Manasseh died, his son Ammon became king and he sinned even more than his father. And he was king for only two years because he was assassinated by some of his own leaders. And then Manasseh's grandson, Josiah became king. 
And Josiah reigned, Manasseh reigned for 55 years. Josiah reigned for 31 years. And the 31 years of Josiah's reign was 31 years of revival and spiritual awakening. Because he turned the nation back to Almighty God. And the revival was so great that it even impacted the northern ten tribes greatly. Now, how did he do that? How did Josiah turn such a wicked nation back to Almighty God? Let's pause for a moment. Let's pause for a moment. Looking at this list, do do I really need to take the time to show you how this is a description of America? Founded in covenant with Almighty God? Our history is replete with men of God like George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Finney, D.L. Moody. Great moves of God. The Pentecostal outpouring in the turn of the 20th century. The latest one, the Jesus people movement and the charismatic renewal. And yet, when we look at our nation today, this is an absolute perfect description of it. Over 55 million people are not living in America today because we sacrificed our children on the altars of idols. Oh, we're not literally taking them to an idol and sacrificing them. But what's the idol of America today? Greed? Personal ambition? Personal well-being? And so in the name of well, it's, it's an encumbrance to me. I just can't. I, I won't be able to pursue my career. I won't be able to, to live the life I want. To, this child is going to be in the way. Really? Can you see the similarities? And so what's the takeaway from the life of Manasseh and then his grandson, Josiah. Well, look at how Josiah was able to lead the nation away. And then we're going to look at the takeaway for ourselves. This is how Josiah was able to lead the nation back to Almighty God. And as we do this, I want you to think about this one thing. The power of one person. One person, Manasseh, led a nation away from the great revival of his father into the worst sins in the history of the nation up to that point. One person led them away. And now... A handful of years after the death of Manasseh, 
one person rises up, his grandson. 16 years old, he begins to seek Almighty God. He became king at eight. At 16, he begins to seek Almighty God. By the time he's 20, he's leading the nation in a full-blown revival and spiritual awakening. And all 31 years of his kingship, he's leading this nation in revival. Now that should make you ask yourself, what kind of impact can I have? If, if, if one person can have that kind of impact for evil, and then one person can have that kind of impact for Almighty God, what can I do? But I hear people say this to me all the time. Oh, our nation's in such trouble, but what can I do? Really? Let me tell you what you can do. You can be an influencer. That's what you can do. It's amazing, isn't it? Here are the steps he took. Look with me just real quickly at the steps that Messiah took in leading the nation back to Almighty God. First, he restored the house of the Lord and relighted the menorah. Like his great-grandpa, Hezekiah. He restored the house of the Lord and restored the menorah. Back to that in a moment. The second thing he did was he recovered the word of God and restored the preaching of truth. Under Manasseh, the word of God had been lost. As we talked a few weeks ago, in the very house of God, the word of God was lost. Is that amazing? Well, it shouldn't be too amazing to us. That's what's wrong with America today. The word of God's lost in the house of the Lord. Literally. But he recovered the word of God and he restored the preaching of truth. Do not underestimate the power of preaching truth. People won't like it. They will hate it. They will say you're, you're judgmental. They will say you're narrow-minded. I've had people tell me I could live on the edge of a razor blade. I'm so narrow-minded. For one reason. I won't embrace the culture's morality. I insist that there truly is holiness. I won't, I won't, I won't. Amen. One bottle didn't do it. Brother, you're amazing. Thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) I guess this is a two-bottle sermon. They removed all the false gods and their altars. They led the nation into celebrating Passover. We're going to come back. Now, there's one point I didn't put up on the screen here, which is very, very important. It should come right after recovered the word of God. And that is he restored the priesthood. And over the next months, we're going to look at these important points because it's exactly what we need here at Living Faith Church. It's exactly what America needs. And we're going to look at these points one by one. We've looked at restoring the house of the Lord. We're going to look at that in more detail in a couple of weeks. This morning, we're going to look at restoring the menorah. But dear ones, we've got to understand the steps that that Josiah took is exactly what is needed in America today. 
And the interesting thing is, is in the word of God, God gave us an example of what we're to do. It is found in the New Testament. And so when someone says to me, well, you're just preaching Old Testament. Well, okay, we can jump to the New Testament and see how God took these very same steps in the New Testament. So let's do that. Pastor David read to you the story out of Acts chapter 3 today about this man who had been lame from the time he was born. I can't imagine how difficult that had to be for him. From the very time he was born, he never walked. The man was 40 years old. The curious thing about it is the majority of his life, he had been brought to the eastern gate, the gate beautiful, and and they sent him there to beg. And that's how he supported himself, was through begging. And so, during now think about this, during the entire ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, this beggar had been there begging. There, there are things in scripture that cause me to see the sovereignty of God, but also at times to wonder. For example... Jesus goes into the pool of Bethesda. The pool of Bethesda is filled with with dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of sick people who are trying to get to the water to get healed, right? He heals one and walks away. Does that kind of make you go, huh? But the sovereignty of Almighty God. Jesus we know from scripture many times went through the eastern gate. And he sees this beggar. He's there begging. But see, God has a plan. Here's the plan. On this day, Peter and John are headed to prayer. And they get to the gate beautiful. As they get to the gate beautiful, here's the guy begging. He's been there all along. Every day they've gone to the temple. He's been there. But this day, when they go to the temple, they hear him begging. And, they, and he asks them for money. And they look at him and go, we don't have any money. The anointing came on them. Now's the time. This is the day. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And you heard the story this morning. The man jumped up. And he began praising God and dancing and walking and giving God glory because God had given him a miracle and healed his legs. Back in the 80s, we used to sing a song about this. He went walking and leaping and praising God. I'm not going to try and sing it this morning with this voice. A miracle. What's going on? God was giving birth to a new era, to a new day, to a new time. God was giving birth to a new day, to a new era, to a new time. See, in the chapter before that, in Acts chapter 2, God, for the first time in all of history, poured out his spirit upon all flesh. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. 120 people 
gathered together in prayer and seeking Almighty God. And as they did, there came a sound from heaven like a mighty wind. And it came rushing into the place where they were at. And tongues of fire sat upon each of them and they began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance as they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that day, 3,000 people came to salvation. Almighty God birthed his church and a whole new era. And this day, when this miracle happened in this man, it was just another signal from Almighty God, a new era has been born. I am restoring the house of the Lord. I am restoring the house of the Lord. But listen, not like Hezekiah and Josiah, they were restoring a physical house, a building, a structure. Almighty God was building a house not made with hands. It was a spiritual temple, a spiritual house. That almighty God was building. What, what's happening here? Exactly what Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you've got your scriptures. Whether mobile or hard copy. Go to Acts chapter. No, I'm sorry. Not Acts. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 please. I'd like to read verses 16 and 17. Oh, I actually have it up on the screen. I did a no-no. I put it on the screen. I don't normally do that, if you know me. I don't normally do that. I want people to read it in the Word. Everyone read this with me together, would you please, since I got it up on the screen. Everyone together. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God... God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. We're going to come back to this scripture in a few weeks. But I want you to see this part of the scripture right here. Would you read this again? Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? Now, this is interesting because the apostle Paul is writing this both to a local congregation, you're the temple of God, but also to individuals, you're the temple of God. They had the temple of Solomon, the second temple of Solomon. The first temple of Solomon had been destroyed by the Babylonian Empire. The second temple of Solomon was rebuilt under Zerubbabel and Ezra, King Kairos. At the time that Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, King Herod was enlarging the temple proper What we know today is the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall is actually a retaining wall of landfill that Herod put in there to enlarge the temple proper. It's amazing to think that that wall that is there is from the time of Christ, isn't it? They had the temple, but the problem was 
was that the temple had diminished and degraded itself into political corruption, political intrigue. High priests were chosen through intrigue and through political corruption. The spiritual leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had a form of godliness but no power. It was all show. And so the real power and presence of the house of God was not there. And the world was living under the power and authority and the culture of pagan Rome. And so even in Jerusalem at that time when Jesus was there, there was this synchristic paganism. That's why you, you saw sermons in the Holy Scripture from John the Baptist saying to the Pharisees, if you've really repented, bring forth fruit for repentance. Because they would have a show of repentance, but not a heart transformation repentance. And that's, and that's where they were at. And so the house of God was again defiled. And while the menorah was still burning, it was just a physical light. There was no light of God in the house of God. But on the day of Pentecost, that all changed. Because now there was a spiritual house that was filled with the Holy Spirit And the house, the spiritual house of God was being restored in the hearts of men and women. And the fire of the Holy Spirit was lighting the temple of God again. A new day, a new era. And it was so visible, it was so visible. But we've watched that diminish. And there's been multiple eras. If you've never, if you've never really read the history of revivals, there's some great books out there on it. There's a there's what I guess I think is one of the classics was written by a man named Winky Pratney. And you can find it on Amazon on Revival. It's a great story of the histories of revival. And there's been times of amazing moves of almighty God. Some of the ones in recent history in the New Hebrides of Great Britain in 1948, an Anglican preacher that was a man of prayer and fasting. And he led his church in prayer and fasting. And one Sunday, the Holy Spirit just fell on them and this great revival that went through the new hebrides and and eventually just kind of kind of circled the globe in places that they they said there that it was common to travel through the countryside at midnight and see lights on in barns not because they were caring for their animals 
but because they were praying all night and would go to work the next day having prayed all night. Kind of reminds you of the revival that went through Wales at the turn of the 20th century that led to the Pentecostal outpouring. Both in Wales and in Korea, the same years, this great revival broke out in both places that led to the Pentecostal outpouring. And the same thing. The same thing. What was happening was the house of the Lord was being restored in the hearts of men and women and the fire of the Spirit was was reigniting the menorah in their heart. You understand what I'm saying? Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Boy, I really, I really goofed up this week. I put both scriptures up on the screen for you. I'm spoiling you. Okay, we'll read it together. Since it's there, don't get used to this. That doesn't mean I'm going to do it every time. Everyone together. Here we go. Ready? Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Stop. Now it's not just talking about the whole church. It's talking about you as a person. This was God's original design. Adam and Eve were so filled with the spirit of God that God's glory clothed them and they didn't need clothing like we wear. They didn't see their own nakedness. They just saw each other's radiance of God's glory. Oh, for the day. Moses had a measure of that in his life. He would go meet with God face to face and then come back. The glory of God radiating from him. And they would put a veil on his face. And it makes it very clear in 2 Corinthians. The veil was not there to hide the radiance of God's glory. But so the people couldn't see the glory fading. Because... The body was not yet ready to contain that kind of glory. It could handle it for a season, but it couldn't be a permanent. Because the human body, after the fall into sin, cannot handle that level of God's radiance. But oh, the day is coming when this mortal is going to put on immortality. When this corruptible is going to put on incorruption. And we're going to get a new body. And that new body will be able to handle the fullness of God's glory in our lives. But between right now and then, God wants you baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because your body is the temple. Let's read it. Here we go. Again. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price? Therefore glorify God in your bodies and your spirit, which are God's. We're going to come back to this scripture in a few weeks also, but we're going to focus on this first part right here. The almighty God from the very beginning has intended that you and I would be 
his temple and the container of his Holy Spirit. But not that his spirit would just dwell in you, but also saturate you. Luke 24, 49. He said to his disciples, don't go fulfill the great commission yet. I've commissioned you, don't go yet. Wait until you've received the promise of the Father. Listen, he said it in these words. Wait until you're clothed with power from on high. Now, anybody with any level of understanding is going to know there's a difference between Holy Spirit dwelling in you and Holy Spirit clothing you. Are you understand what I'm saying? Jesus at this point is not saying Holy Spirit's going to come in you. Of course he's going to come in you. You can't be born again if he doesn't come in you. He wasn't saying to them, wait until you get born again. He had already told them that their names were written in heaven. Remember, he said to them, don't rejoice that you can cast out demons. Rejoice that your name's written in heaven. Now he's telling them, but there's a promise from Father that takes another step. That other step is be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're going to be clothed with power from on high. Acts 1, 4 to 5. Same writer, Luke, writes it again when he said, Jesus said this. Tarry in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Amen. Then he said this, and you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Not in you, upon you. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not Holy Spirit coming and living in you. He does that when you're born again. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when God takes you and immerses you into the Holy Spirit. So he is both in you, he is upon you. Your life is saturated with the Holy Spirit because you're the temple of God and God wants your temple completely saturated with his holy presence and his holy fire. That's God's desire for your life. And he has meant that to be the way we live our life every single day. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me, please? We are so blessed that you join us online today. For more resources on how you can grow your relationship with Jesus Christ, visit us online at www.winacity.com. If you would like to speak with someone about your relationship with Jesus Christ or would like prayer, you can contact us at 541-567-4486 or email us at info at winacity.com.